was a little worried when um, Haven started reading the, the scripture lesson for today because we hadn't talked about it because I'm about to read from a kid's Bible, and you'll hear why later. But I was like, oh, is she about to read that? Because you're about to hear it twice then. But I guess that wouldn't be a bad thing. But she didn't read the one I'm reading, so we're good. It's all good. Um, but our scripture lesson today is from Genesis 1 and 2, and I will be reading it from the, the Bible that we give our kindergartners, the Children of God Storybook Bible by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and I'm going to share a little bit about why I chose that one later. Um, but as we prepare to hear God's Word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So a reading of Genesis 1 and 2 from the Children of God Storybook Bible. The title says, God Gives Life, the Creation, Genesis 1. In the very beginning, God's love bubbled over when there was nothing else. No trees, no birds, no animals, no sky, no sea, only darkness. Out of this love, God spoke. Let there be light. And there was day and there was night. And when the first day was done, God smiled and knew that it was good. On the second day, God said, let there be sky where the clouds can float and the wind can blow. And the sky was bright, blue, and beautiful. On the third day, God said, let the waters gather together into oceans. Let the dry land appear. Now God decided to make the world even more dazzling with tall trees and long grass. And then the first flower opened in all its glory. On the fourth day, God said, let the sky be filled with the sun and the moon. And God scattered stars across the sky like sparkling diamonds. On the fifth day, God said, let there be birds to fly and sing and fish to swim and splash. And the world was filled with the joyous sound of birdsong. On the sixth day, God said, let there be animals, elephants, and giraffes, cats, and mice, and bees, and bugs, and suddenly the world was a very noisy place. But something was still missing. Then God said, I will make people, and I'll make them like me so they can enjoy the earth and take care of it. God did just as God had said, and it was all so very, very good. God looked at everything that God had made and clapped God's hands together in delight. Isn't it wonderful? And on the seventh day, God laughed and rested and enjoyed God's glorious creation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's lots of reasons. Um, I love this Children of God storybook Bible. I shared some of it last week as we handed it out to our kindergartners. But one reason I love Archbishop Desmond Tutu's version of the creation story is because of the sheer joy in it. I'm sure you caught that. It begins in the very beginning. God's love bubbled over. 
there's a couple of images that come to mind for me when I think of God's love bubbling over. Um, the first is I think of when I was little and all I wanted to do was have a straw and a glass of milk so I could blow in it and make the milk bubble over the glass. Anyone else do this? Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it didn't happen often because normally it was frowned upon and I was told not to do it and quit playing with my food. I've actually wondered before, like why as an adult I don't just do this now because there's no one to stop me and for whatever reason, this bubbling over of milk, it brings me great joy. I also think at the time I was in college, um, I was out of the cleaning stuff that you're supposed to put in the dishwasher so I put dish soap in it. <laughs> FYI, for anyone interested, have you done that? Good, I'm not the only one. Anyone interested, or anyone that may be heading out to college, you can't put dish soap in the dishwasher. I mean, you can, but it will bubble over and there's nothing you can do about it but let the cycle run and just stand there and mop and mop and mop until all the bubbles that will not be contained by that dishwasher door um, go away. Trust me, you don't need to try this at home. This is Archbishop Tutu's image of God's love bubbling over. It would not be contained. And out of this love bubbling over is how we get creation. And if that image alone in his rendering doesn't invite joy and awe and happiness where there's plenty of other places in this telling of this story, images like God smiled, words like bright and beautiful, dazzling glory, sparkling diamonds, swim and splash, filled with joyous sound, and then that continuous refrain, it was good. It was also very, very good. God looked at everything God had made and clapped God's hands together in delight. Isn't it wonderful? And on the seventh day, God laughed and rested and enjoyed God's glorious creation. That last line pretty much sums up our entire July sermon series. It's a telling of the creation account that is full of beauty and joy and awe and happiness and love bubbling over. One of the things we do with our bridge group, our tween ministry preparing for confirmation, is an overnight retreat where we talk about the Bible, what it is, what it's not, how we are to read it, the varying types of literature you find in it, um, and the creation story is part of that discussion. I share with them that the beginning of the Bible, those first 11 chapters of Genesis, to be exact, that they are origin stories, stories about beginnings. And I tell them that other ancient civilizations have their own origin stories. And there's one that I share with them, and that one, it tells the story of creation, of earth and humanity coming about because of conflict among the gods. Earth and humanity are literally birthed in conflict. But our origin story, our beginning, 
the creation account of our faith is a story of the universe being brought forth out of the chaos, birthed in love, by love, and for love, by a God who is love, with words that proclaim, and it was good. I point out this other ancient origin story so that I can hold it alongside our faith story because the hope, the hope is that as we hold these two stories side by side, as we hear them, see them, feel those differences, something in us says, hey, this is more than a little story trying to say how life began. In fact, the actual how may not even be the point. This story is telling us something about God, something about us, something about creation itself. There's wisdom in this story, wisdom that I'm supposed to pull out. If you read the newsletter this past week, you found a story that I told about my youngest son, um, how he came home from summer camp this summer just really wanting to dive into the Bible, wanting to read it every day. He told me he was going to read a little bit every night, um, and he was going to begin at the beginning and try to make his way through. Um, for those of us that have tried to begin at the beginning and make your way through, you can see why I was like, this is probably not the best plan. Um, so I tried to give him some pointers, maybe like, don't just start at the beginning. Um, maybe pick out one book. Maybe read a gospel. Perhaps jump around. I pulled out the study Bible that he was given in third grade from this church, um, showed it how it could help him understand how there were notes in places, how you could read about the book, how were these little side notes that he could read that would help him understand the passages. I tried to prepare him for some of the weird, ugly scary, hard to understand stuff. I told him, just come ask me. If you come across something, anything that you have a question about. He didn't take any of my advice because what could his mom possibly know? He's smiling back there about reading the Bible. But his eagerness to read the Bible got me thinking about what it is that I hope he finds in Scripture. And what is it I hope to find in Scripture? Why do we come to this book? You know, we live in a time where, I mean, you can find T-shirt after T-shirt with verses on it. You can decorate the walls of your home with home decor. Verses are memorized so that they can be pulled out and used as defense. But I thought about this long history of Scripture the deep meaning that seems to be passed on from generation to generation. I thought about the wisdom of Scripture. Not just favorite verses, but these overarching themes we find that help us in understanding who God is, who we are. Help us think about our world and our relationship to it. So this year in worship, as we move through the year, we will explore the wisdom of Scripture. Today we begin at the beginning and we'll kind of make our way through looking at these big overarching themes. Now I have to confess, I did not come up 
um, with the idea of the name for my sermon, and it was good. Um, I was doing my own reading on this passage and what it has to say to us, and there was an author, and in their reflection, they called it, and it was good, and so I just stole that title. Um, but it's in scripture, it's okay. But it says, it was good. God made all things and declared them good. That God continues to show love and care for creation throughout human history and for all eternity. They name that. And then they ask, as a question of reflection after reading Genesis, what does this passage tell us about God's intention for the earth? About how God relates to the world that God created. What does all of this suggest about how we are supposed to relate to creation? How we are supposed to see it? Well, if we use Archbishop Tutu's telling of the Genesis story, it was good. It was all so very, very good. God looked at everything God had made and clapped God's hands together in delight. Isn't it wonderful? And on the seventh day, God laughed and rested and enjoyed God's glorious creation. There is joy and awe and delight. It is good. And if God declares all of creation to be so very good, the question for us becomes, do we believe this? Do we see the joy and awe and delight? And if we do, do we believe that this created order, that this goodness of creation, is it worth protecting and saving? You heard Haven read Genesis 9 earlier, and yes, it's, it's the closing of the flood story, so I can get a little messy if we think about creation, then God sending the flood, and then the covenant, but that's a sermon for another day, so we'll just move to the covenant part and stick with it. But if you listen to the wording of that covenant, as Noah and every, the animals and his family in the ark come out, God makes a covenant with Noah, with his descendants, and with every living creature. And God places a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of this covenant, a covenant of protection and presence that extends beyond us, beyond human beings. The rainbow itself is part of this beauty and wonder of creation. These verses tell us that within this covenant, within this partnership, within this promise, we are a piece of the puzzle in fulfilling the covenant. So we are to ask, how are we providing protection and presence to other living creatures and the earth itself? And it isn't just Genesis where we find words of wisdom that ask us to reflect on creation and our role within it. Words that remind us and it was good. Reverence for God's creation is all over the book of Psalms, partly because the authors of these ancient songs and prayers, well, they were very aware of their dependence 
upon the soil. They could not take the actual earth, the soil, for granted. They were directly engaged with the natural world. They held a firm doctrine of creation, a God who created all that is out of nothing, and a God who created them and all of creation as a gift. One of the best is Psalm 104. I've preached on it before, but there is tremendous joy in life in that psalm. I invite you to go home and read it this week. It celebrates the diversity of life around us, the life that literally is going on all around us night and day. And for the first 13 verses of that psalm, there is not a single syllable about us, about humanity doesn't address us. We're nowhere to be found. And when we are in that psalm, we're just named as co-inhabitants with the other things of the world. But it's not just in the psalms. Um, I know we did not read this passage. I listed a bunch in the newsletter. It was really hard for me to narrow down the ones to read today. But the last few chapters of the story of Job well, they contain God finally answering the questions and the cries of Job. Not so much giving an answer. Again, that's another sermon for another day. But it gives us this whirlwind tour of the cosmos. We hear about the foundation of the earth, the birth of the sea, the creation of light and dark, rain, snow, hail, thunder, animals galore. It's a section of scripture that calls us to stand in amazement at all that surrounds us. And what's so fascinating to me is just think about when this was written, 6th century BC, pre-science, pre-mapping of the world, pre-naming of all the species, pre-claiming of every piece of land, just this beautiful poetry that looks around and reminds us of all the things, all the beautiful, magical things happening around us every day. If you don't want to read Psalm 104, jump to the end of Job, and there's about four chapters of that. And human beings, again, have almost no place in that divine speech. Just a world, wild and beautiful and free. So what is the wisdom that we are to hear within the very beginning words of our story of faith, the wisdom we are to hear about creation itself as we make our way through Scripture? I think we're just supposed to remember these words. And it was good. And take time every now and then to stand in awe and wonder at its beauty at its fragility, at its order, at its chaos. It is true, um, which we are made all too aware of at times, that this universe God created is not entirely safe. It's not predictable. But it's beautiful. And it is good. The universe is far bigger far stranger and far more mysterious than we can imagine. And the wisdom of Scripture says, maybe, just maybe, we are not in creation's center. 
As one theologian said, the world is not our oyster, it is God's oyster. The world is God's, not ours. As the psalmist declares, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. The wisdom of scripture says to us, we are but creatures in the world that God has made. But God invites us to live and thrive and enjoy this wild and beautiful world. God invites us to look around and clap our hands in delight and say, isn't it wonderful? You know, we can read through history and see, and I'm not, we're not really past this, but see that humanity kind of goes through this period where we believe we can tame nature, bend it to fit our needs, make it work for us. But I think, we are being reminded every day that we cannot tame nature. I could give you a laundry list of stats and troubling news and recent events. Maui comes to mind, a month for us of more days over 100 degrees than under. But as a people of faith, um, it isn't helpful for us to start there. It isn't helpful to start with stats and bad news. For us, as a people of faith, we start with these words. And it was good. We begin at the beginning and we realize that a pretty big piece of our faith story is about creation itself. Standing in awe and wonder and delight at God's created order. Looking around and saying, yes, this is all so very good because it will be our love and our respect and our delight in this place and of this place, this place we call home, that will make all the rest matter. As Archbishop Tutu said at the end of his creation story, dear God, help me to enjoy and care for your beautiful earth. May it be so. Amen.